You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And this is the 29th day of June. I was going to say July, so that was close. June uh, 2021. And we are going to be here tonight. Emma is here with us. Um, Mark is just... Hi. Um, Mark is just um, busy right at the moment. um, And then he will get right back um, in service with us. And he'll be able to talk tonight and read with us. So... Tonight's reading is going to be The Failure of Mankind, Chapter 17 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5. 
um, it's going to be from pages 239 to 253. If you want to follow along, you can go on to um, Facebook and go to um, his Facebook page, which is, oh, I can't remember what it is. Hey, um, I am just going uh, up to the Grizz. Okay. Okay. It um, is uh, com. Yeah. Damn it. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Did you hear me? Thanks. My Facebook URL is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. So it's just facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And I am okay. about to pull on the Grizz, so I'm going to mute myself. And, uh, oh, the chat room is available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I thought it was uh, gonna... Facebook user. Or Facebook okay. forward slash user forward slash L E Z U R U S 1977. Okay. Emmett, since you want to do a whole bunch of talking, then go ahead and you do the dedication and just pray um, for the show tonight and pray that you know, for all of the uh, people watching and for us, uh, for safety and and so we'll be able to do a good job and learn what we need to learn, okay? Huh? I don't know what I'm doing, but hopefully. <laughs> okay, uh, I think, um, okay. Mark, I think we can still hear you. There's a background. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, go Can ahead. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful for this day. Uh, I ask that you help us to be able to do this radio show and that we won't cut out um, when we're talking or we need to say something. Uh, please help me to be able to focus and not stutter. And uh, please help my mom's phone to work and not cut out like it did yesterday. And please help everyone who's listening and anyone else who ends up listening this, um, that they'll be able to learn things and understand what we're reading about. Um, Other than that, uh, I ask that we're all able to do all the things that we need to do uh, today and tomorrow and that everyone who's listening will be able to do what they need to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay. Amen. All right. So now we'll get right into the reading on The Failure of Mankind, Chapter 17 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, um, starting with page, page 239. I can tell you this much about it. It's pretty hard, or it's pretty hard work to make sheep out of goats. That's Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, Volume 20, page 43. This chapter is divided into three sections. Number one, the failure of men. Number two, the failure of the church and government. And number three, the failure of the world. Number one, the failure of men. Of all the slaves who ever rode oars, shoveled dirt, picked cotton, or carried burdens, 
Did any of them really want to be a slave? Probably not. Yet nearly all the men allow someone else to do their thinking for them, which is actually a form of slavery. God gave each individual a body to use in many different ways. He has legs to walk, hands to work, a mouth to eat, eyes to see, and a mind to think. He wouldn't want someone else to walk for him, eat for him, or see for him. So why do most men want someone else to do their thinking for them? If another person dictates the use of your body as a slave, what is it when he dictates the use of your mind? Page 240. Is there something you wanted to say or should I continue because you're on the grid? Okay, I'll continue. For several years, we have heard the expressions in the LDS church, follow the brethren, even if they are wrong. When the leaders speak, the thinking has been done, and your leaders cannot lead you astray. If we followed that mentality to its fullest extent, the result would be similar to the subjects who followed Soviet propaganda. Reverend Richard Wormbrand told the following story illustrating this. forget my first encounter with a Russian prisoner. He told me he was an engineer. I asked him if he believed in God. If he had said no, I would not have minded it much. It is the right of every man to believe or disbelieve. But when I asked him if he believed in God, he lifted his eyes toward me without understanding, and he said, I have no such military order to believe. If I have an order, I will believe. Tears ran down my cheeks. I felt my heart rent in pieces. Here stood before me a man whose mind was dead, a man who had lost the greatest gift God has given to mankind to be an individual. He was brainwashed. He was a brainwashed tool in the hands of the communists, ready to believe or not on an order. He could not think anymore on his own. This was a typical Russian after all these years of communist domination. After the shock of seeing what communism had done to human beings, I promised God I would dictate my life to these men to give them back their personalities and to give them faith in God and Christ. That comes from Tortured for Christ, page 14. Most people who are physically handicapped or mentally disabled must be supported by someone else. A person who cannot or will not work is sustained by the welfare of others. Those who have a serious accident with severe loss of blood must have blood donated to them from another person. Thus, if people are spiritually supported by someone else, it must mean they are spiritually weak, sick, or incapable of sustaining themselves. Page 241. But Brigham Young admonished, though our interest is one as a people, yet remember salvation is an individual work. It is every person for himself. Journal of Discourse, Volume 2, page 132. We cannot be exalted by leaning on the arm of someone else. Brigham said, no man can be exalted unless he be independent. End quote. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 1, page 111. If you work for someone else, you are his servant. If you labor for yourself, you are an independent and self-supporting. Orson Hyde and Brigham Young observed, Still, one can hardly refrain from thinking. When he sees his neighbor begging and borrowing bread, how much more commendable it would be in him to apply himself to labor and produce thereby bread from the soil by his own exertion. And inasmuch as our Heavenly Father is accessible to all, It is far better to store our minds with the treasures of wisdom and knowledge by our own spiritual labors and toil, direct from the great fountain of celestial light and love, than to trust wholly to the testimony and teachings of others. 
obtain the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. Startle not at, at the idea of prophecy and prophets, for I would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. That's Orson Hyde, Journal of Discourse, Volume 7, page 71. There are those among this people who are influenced, controlled, and biased in their thoughts, actions, and feelings by some other individual or family on whom they place their dependence for spiritual and temporal instruction and for salvation in the end. These persons do not depend upon themselves for salvation, but upon another of their poor, weak fellow mortals. That comes from Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, Volume 1, page 312. To place your trust in man is a form of apostasy. For the dictionary says apostasy is to forsake one's faith or principles. That's New International Discourse, or it says dictionary, actually. New International Dictionary, Volume 1, page 69. So if a person turns from the following principles to following personalities, it actually can be called apostasy. Page 242. Are you done dumping? Did you have any comments? Okay, I'll continue. They are preparing themselves to be servants. Most men are preparing to be servants in this world and the next, but only a few are preparing to be gods. You become like the ones you serve. This also applies to organizations, as the following demonstrates. Every year, many corporations that have grown sluggish and are headed downward are rebuilt. And how? By changing a handful of executives at the top. Companies and colleagues and churches and clubs and unions and all of those types of organizations are successfully rebuilt from the top down, not from the bottom up. Change the thinking at the top, and you automatically change the thinking at the bottom. Over a period of time, subordinates tend to become carbon copies of their chief. The simplest way to get high-level performance is to be sure the master copy is worth duplicating. That comes from the magic of thinking big. Um, P. Schwartz, or Schwartz, pages 217 to 218. Changing the thinking at the top can either be for good or for worse. And if church leaders make errors, the members who follow will make the same errors. Mormonism has turned from cursed is he that puts his trust in mortal men to blessed is he that does. We should honor the offices men hold, obey the truths they teach, but recognize them as mortal fallible, and subject to weakness and error. Don't trust them in all they say and do. There is no fault in giving men admiration, esteem, and personal regard, but trust in the Lord. As an ancient Arab proverb said, believe in Allah, but tie up your camel. Mankind cannot be trusted in temporal or spiritual things. So much homage and reverence were paid to Buddha and Muhammad that they became recognized as gods. The same obeisance, yeah, obeisance caused temporal disaster to the followers of Hitler, Stalin, and Mao Zedong. Sorry, I don't really do that language very well. Spirituality, it can become an eternal disaster. In the early days of the church, members were taught to get their endowments and then work to achieve their second anointing. Then they would be ordained as kings and priests, queens and priestesses unto God not unto any man. This was because they had proved themselves worthy to receive revelation and guidance directly from God, and they would be given a kingdom. 
he would then be then preside over his own kingdom, not be a slave in someone else's. A king wears a crown on his head, not a ring in his nose. According to Nephi, there would not be many in our time who would qualify. They wear stiff necks and high heads, yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. That's Second Nephi 28, verse 14. Isn't that preposterous? Almost everyone has gone off the track except a few humble followers of Christ. And even they are in error because they taught, are taught by precepts of men. Will we ever learn? And now we're on number two, the failure of the church and government. Did you have anything to say about that first section? Uh, can you hear me now? <laughs> yep. I'm on wash plants, so this is the greatest place to talk, brother. Um, hold on. Let me just get down to the bottom of this hill here. Okay, I don't know. Am I good now? Oh, I can't hear you. Uh, You sound fine to me. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, Well, (coughs) excuse me, corruption always happens the same way. You get people who, because of their pride want to be worshipped, honored, and obeyed. And then they choose people who will do that for them to be their, you know, people in positions of authority. This has happened in the political structure of our nation, United States of America, but this also happens in the church. So in the church, you get you get people like uh, Heber J. Grant or Wilfred Woodruff, who uh, they decide they're going to do something, and then everybody just follows along because he's the president of the church. But if you're somebody like John W. Taylor, who knew that his father, John Taylor, so John W. Taylor is the son of of John Taylor, he knew that he had a revelation where he had a visitation from Jesus Christ himself where he was told not to give up plural celestial marriage and not give in to the Gentiles. And then John Taylor dies, and then you have Wilfred Woodruff who comes in and does something that he was actually also told not to do because he received a revelation in 1889, or is it 1890, but it's not the manifesto. Basically the same thing. Don't give in to the Gentiles. Do not do away with plural celestial marriage or give up anything that I have commanded you to do. I have not abrogated or done away with anything that I, that I have commanded. That's Jesus Christ speaking. But then he gives in to the Gentiles and, and tries to play the devil's game by lying. And uh, they say, they put out the manifesto where they talk about how they're not going to live polygamy anymore, but they continue to solemnize them. Uh, among the saints, and uh, finally, Joseph F. Smith, I think it's Joseph, I think it was Joseph F. Smith, I can't remember, um, he comes along and he 
issues the second manifesto where he says, you know, uh, no, no more polygamy and no more United Orders and no, no more of any of this stuff. Um, hold on here. Are you serious? I swear people are so stupid. can just blame it on the fluoride in the water. Like, I'm sitting here waiting for a person to, like, go, and they stop in the middle of the road. Really? Oh. Anyway, Tim has to hear my driving experiences all the time, so you're so lucky you don't have to hear it very often. <laughs> anyway. So, um, so John W. Taylor knows that that Jesus Christ has commanded him not to give in to given to, to uh, you know, to the, to the Gentiles that were trying to tear them down, who are, in fact, the beast that wears out the, the saints of the Most High, as found in Daniel chapter 7 in your Old Testament. So what, it, what do they do? Because John W. Taylor will not go along with, who was an apostle, by the way. Oh, they, they threw him out. They threw him and another guy out for apostasy because they wouldn't go along with the program because they stood up for the truth. Now, Thomas Monson will say, oh, I stand for the truth, no matter if I stand alone. But he doesn't. He never did. All he stood for is telling you tearjerker stories, but never getting into the meat of the gospel, which is dumbed down the church. But he's the same as all these other yes men that eventually become the leader. You know, so... um, and then it was the same with uh, Eldridge G. Smith, who was the, the last patriarch of the church. All oh, they released him because he didn't know what to do with the Canaanites because they're not supposed to have the priesthood. I'll oh, just get rid of that office. You know, they just change everything. But this is how corruption happens. And it's happened within the church. And I'm about to go into Wellington County, and I'm going to cut out. And I'll be able to hear you, so I will mute myself and listen. Kim. Oh, I just Hello. was sitting here and had the radar detector start going off right as soon as you said that, so I turned it off. Why don't you just turn it? Oh, okay, good deal. All right, uh, I'm going through Wellington Cut right now. I'll mute myself. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and now Amberly's knocking on my door. Okay, sorry. Getting back into the reading. Number two. I think you're on page 243. 44. Well, yeah, right before 244. The failure of the church and government, the Church of Jesus Christ, should last forever. But it has always failed because it eventually becomes governed by man. Wilfred Woodruff explained, they had neglected to magnify their callings as apostles, as elders. They had used that priesthood to attempt to build themselves up and to perform some other work besides the building up of the kingdom of God. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 21, page 190. When churches and governments become absorbed in the things of the world, they lose sight of the things of God. As they become more concerned with big business, corporate powers, boards of directors, and wealth, they lose sight of God's kingdom and its meaning and importance. People like sheep tend to follow their leaders, and when the leaders fail, the people also fail. Jeremiah saw this and wrote, A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. 
and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. That's Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. And Dr. Hugh Nibley observed, after the prophets came the false prophets, and after the apostles, the false apostles. And after Christ, the Antichrist, is it unthinkable that the church should likewise have a dubious successor? That comes from Mormonism and early Christianity, Nibley, pages 186 through 87. In 1890, a strange thing happened when Wilfred Woodruff signed the manifesto. He told members of the church, I hereby declare my intention to submit to the laws of the land and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. That comes from the official declaration commonly known as the manifesto, which follows the doctrine and covenants. It was a transgression from obeying God's laws to man's laws. He was speaking of national leadership rather than the divine leadership leading to the laws of the land, having jurisdiction over the laws of God. Ask Mormons if a law of God clashed with national news. What should they do? And most will answer, we must obey the laws of the land. Immediately after issuing the manifesto, persecution stopped. Members turned to business, sought for federal employment and political offices. Historians have written extensively on this condition, such as Tom Alexander's book, Mormonism in Transition. Even the title alludes to the fact that when Christianity goes through such a transition, it is called apostasy. During the last century, we have been encouraged to submit to the laws of the land, regardless of their opposition to the laws of God or the Constitution. We are even being tricked into joining the wicked atheist New World Order, which is really the old world order of Babylon. Our national leaders are making treaties, agreements, and obligations with foreign governments without the vote or approval of the citizens. Likewise, our church leaders are making commitments to our national leaders without the vote or approval of the members. The more corrupt the federal government became, the more they opposed Mormonism. In 1890, they did not repent and concede to Mormonism. Mormonism conceded to them. The government has not changed for the better. Mormonism has changed for the worse. We have failed to sustain all the laws of the gospel to redeem Zion, to live righteously, and to enjoy all the gifts of the gospel. We do not rebuke the evils in Washington, D.C. We participate in their politics and shake hands with them. Brigham Young prophesied that this would happen on page 246. Journal of Discourse, volume 4, page 327 says... And when the spirit of persecution, I was just going to finish this out because it. Hi, I can hear you. I'm almost to an area. I'm almost to an area where I'm not going to be able to talk. Okay. We, as the church, uh, the saints, are supposed to be the bride of Christ and follow His laws because He's our husband. When we go pouring ourselves off after Babylon the Great and her laws and make him our husband or our, I don't know, who we're cheating on with God, we become the whore of all the earth. We are the whore of all the earth. Definition. It is a little definition. We are fulfilling that definition as the bride of Christ that whores itself off after after Babylon the Great and make him our God and place him above God's laws. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. I just clicked out of it and then clicked into it. 
this phone is a little bit easier to use, though. Brigham Young prophesied in Journal of Discourse. Oh, yeah, I just said that, and then I messed it up. Hold on. Journal of Discourse, Volume 4, page 327. And when the spirit of persecution, the spirit of hatred, of wrath and malice ceases in the world against this people, it will be the time that this people have apostatized and joined hands with the wicked, end quote. Again, that's Journal of Discourse, Volume 4, page 327. The church experienced both political and doctrinal transitions through the turn of the century. As a result of these changes, there was also a transition in their communication with the Lord, which is evident from this experience of Lorenzo Snow. Shortly before the death of President Woodruff and knowing of his serious illness, Elder Snow went to his room in the temple where he was residing at the time, dressed himself in the robes, of the priesthood and in the solitude of one of the sacred rooms he knelt before the altar and poured out his soul to god to spare the beloved leader he prayed that the lord would extend the mortal life of the aged president beyond his own that he might not be called upon to bear the terrific burdens associated with the highest office in the church nevertheless he said thy will be done i have not sought this responsibility but if it be thy will I now present myself before thee for thy guidance and instruction. Emerging from the room, the apostle received a personal visitation from the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom he received instructions relative to the reorganization of the first presidency, when the mantle should fall upon him to lead the church. That comes from Life of Lorenzo Snow, P.C. Romney, page 445. I got to cut in. Okay. I got to cut in. That was the biggest gaslighting crap I have ever heard. That is the dumbed down version of what happened. Okay, first of all, in 2012, in the fall of 2012, I found out that Wilfred Woodruff was the keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club. If you don't know what that is, just type in Bohemian Grove into YouTube and then just, just be dismayed that he would have anything to do with these cultists. But he was the keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, and the morning after, he was found dead, poisoned to death. He was not sick. He was strong enough to make the journey to San Francisco and to be the keynote speaker. He made somebody angry in the Bohemian Club, somebody he had promised um, some position of authority in the government uh, somehow in Utah, Anyway, and he did not fulfill his promise, so he killed him. I think it was arsenic poisoning. I couldn't believe it when I found that out. So I went and did some research, because I learned how to do research when I was in college, and I found an article in San Francisco, a newspaper, an article in the New York, I think it was the New York Times, and the Salt Lake Tribune all talked about this, uh, this keynote speaker thing with the Bohemian Club and how he died the next day. He was found dead the next morning. Okay. Kim, do you remember that vaguely? No. Because it shook me up. It shook me up. It was when we were living in New Hampshire, and I was like, what? What would a, what would a servant of God, because I was like full in. I did not. I, I knew all the, I knew a bunch of stuff, but I was like, nope, this is still the kingdom. The church is true. And I was holding on to that because that's what I believed. 
and um, and it really screwed me up. And then I started looking into some more uh, other things, and that led me. What's that? What was that? Me, Kim? I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Sorry. Oh, okay. Anyway, so um, so Lorenzo Snow didn't have any notice that he was about to be prophet of the church. When Lorenzo, or when Wilfred Woodruff died, he went into the Holy of Holies three or four times and told or and prayed and was like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Right? And then, mm-hmm. on the, uh, I think it was after the third or fourth time, Jesus is standing in the hallway of the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, so right after you come out of the Holy of Holies, you go to the anti-room, and then you go to the celestial room. And then uh, if you turn right, you can go down, and there's like a little hallway that goes back to some ceiling rooms and to the old uh, office of the president of the church in the temple. Uh, it's got a little living quarters, and there's, it's pretty nice, actually. But anyway, so he was walking back from the celestial room, from coming out of the Holy of Holies, and, he, and Jesus was standing in the hallway before he went into the, uh, where his office was. And Jesus Christ told him, you are the church, have forsaken my laws. And I will not go back into that room pointing at the Holy of Holies again. But then he told him uh, to reorganize the, the quorum in the first presidency, and he gave him some instructions. But he told him, but the church never wants to tell you that part. They will only tell you the part that the gas line or the, the whitewashed part that makes it look good. It ain't good. What happened ain't good. What happened is the church gave up God's higher laws and Jesus, like, he was done with them. You know, he told John Taylor to be obedient and to keep the laws. John Taylor did what he was told. He told Wilfred Woodruff personally to not do what he later did, and that was it. That was it. Lorenzo Snow, as far as I know, is the last person that ever saw Jesus Christ in the, uh, in the flesh. Um, there was the Joseph F. Smith vision, but that was a vision. Uh, David B. Hay had a vision. That was a vision. David O. McKay claimed to have seen Jesus Christ, but he contradicted Joseph Smith, you know, saying that Jesus Christ's eyes were brown. Joseph Smith said they were blue. I've seen him. They're blue. Uh, other people I know have seen him. I've seen Jesus Christ. They're blue. But anyway, Lorenzo Snow, that was the last time. Because the church has gone further and further into apostasy, giving in to Babylon the Great, going, whoring themselves off after Babylon the Great. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah sees a vision of the last days, and he sees the drunkards of Ephraim in the last days. And he sees the one mighty and strong come among them, and teach they who have been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, those who are ready to hear the meat of the gospel, those who are ready to turn away from their man-made foolish traditions and towards God's truth, while all of the rest are labeled the drunkards of Ephraim. And I asked God, why are they called the drunkards of Ephraim? 
And he told me that it's because they go or because they drink because um, they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. They are the whore of the whole earth. And they need to repent. And it'll it'll be very few that actually go ahead and do that. Anyway, go ahead. I'm going to end it myself. Okay. Sacred <clears throat> room was actually the Holy of Holies. And Romney was correct when he said that the Savior appeared to Lorenzo Snow after he emerged from that room. The Savior explained why he did not honor that sacred place. Donning his temple clothes, he went into the holy room of the temple to receive advice and counsel from God on the subject. Four hours he pled with the Lord for an answer. No answer came. Finally, he left the room and went out into the foyer. He sadly looked at a large painting on the wall of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Then, to his joy, the Savior appeared. At this time, Jesus explained to him that he could not come to him while in the Holy of Holies because the church was not worthy of such a revelation. They had given up that most holy principle which leads to the the eternal life, celestial marriage, or, in other words, plural marriage. Jesus then explained to Lorenzo Snow that he was not coming to him as president of the church. The Savior explained that it was due to Lorenzo's own personal righteousness that he had come to answer his questions. This incident is related by Lorenzo Snow's granddaughter who heard it from his lips. Keys of the Priesthood, Illustrated, Lynn and Stephen Bishop, pages 223. See also Temples of the Most High, Lundwall, pages 139 to 142. This author was privileged to meet Lucille's living daughter of Lorenzo Snow and talk to her about this incident. She stated that she was going to meet with some of the church leaders to tell them something she was sure they did not know. I asked, would that be the account of the Savior appearing to Lorenzo Snow after he came out of the Holy of Holies because he was personally worthy, but not as a leader of the church, in the church? Surprised, she responded, how did you find out about that? This verified for me that the story was indeed true. When Brigham Young was speaking at one of the meetings during the St. George Temple dedication, he showed the folly of the saints in giving their sustenance to the Gentiles and to wicked and corrupt men, said that some of these people, or this people, if they had the power, would build a railroad to the bottomless pit and would send all they that had the earth besides to the devil. All that they had and the earth besides to the devil. Rebuked such with shame, and he said, or and said, we acted like damned fools. He smote the stand with his walking stick as he spoke thus that sentence and made the remark again, and the marks are on the stand and will remain there as a testimony of the truth and the power by which he spoke. Charles Walker Journal, January 1st. Those marks remain, and so does the foolishness of most Mormon people. Already knowing the answer, John Taylor asked the saints, shall we give up our religion and our God and be governed by the practices that exist in the nation which are contrary to the laws of God? That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 20, page 356. Apparently, most of them thought they should. They should. We no longer seek for things to be done on earth as they are in heaven, but rather as they are done in Washington, D.C., we allow the laws of the land to prevail over the laws of God. 
Now we're on number three, the failure of the world. Did you have anything else to add to that before I start this next section? No, I think I think there's been enough said about it. It's just okay. sad that the church gaslights so much, and they lie and they change their story so much. They think that yep. lying for the Lord is acceptable, and it's not. And this nation, they, they're they not supposed to, they're supposed to be freedom of speech, freedom of religion, you know, but they won't let us have it because they're going to do what they want to do. And, our, and Daniel saw, like I said, in Daniel chapter 7, in the last days, he sees that the Ancient of Days, or Father Adam, will not return um, until the, or, well, the saints of the Most High will be worn out by the beast until the Ancient of Days comes. That's Father Adam. Adam and Adam and Diamond. And we could look back and see that that is exactly what's going on. They are wearing us out. They, are, they persecute us when we live the truth, when we keep God's laws. And uh, when we give in to them, we become one of the richest churches uh, in the world. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. The failure of the world. The whole world has fallen under a curse, and they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness. But every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of its own God, whose image is like the, who is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol. That's Doctrine and Covenants, Volume 1, or Chapter 1, sorry, verse. Our world today represents the death of sin and wickedness, similar to the condition that existed just before it was destroyed by flood. We are not only sinning in the same ways that other dispensations did, but we are sinning scientifically as well. According to Brigham Young, our world is worse than others. Page 249. Oh, okay. We are inhabitants of a world of sin and sorrow, pain and anguish. Every ill that can be heaped upon intelligent beings in a probation, we are heirs to. I suppose that God never organized an earth and people it and peopled it that was ever reduced to a lower state of darkness, sin and ignorance than this. Journal of Discourse, Volume 10, page 175. And the prophet Joseph Smith said, This generation is as corrupt as the generation of the Jews that crucified Christ. And if he were here today and should preach the same doctrine he did then, they would put him to death. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 328. These present worldly conditions, however, are a fulfillment of the prophecy, as the days of Noah were so shall all shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, verse 37. So, based on the level of wickedness in the world today, the second coming of the Savior must be very close. The Gentiles of the world are the tares, and the enemy that sowed them is the devil. See Matthew chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. The world at best is, rep- best is represented as a celestial world. If So, if we live celestial laws, we are going to be in conflict with the world. True prophets condemn immoral people 
and corrupt government leaders. False prophets are at peace with them, with them, and even receive honors from them. Thus, following a false prophet can jeopardize a man's eternal salvation. Suppose an influential religious leader speaks 99 truths and one falsehood. What can be the outcome of a person who has put total trust in what he says? An example is an incident related by Mr. Orson Pratt about his, converse, his conversation with Mr. Goodby, or Godby, a former member of the LDS Church and some of his associates. Page 250. They also Sorry, said I'm that almost up to. That's okay. I'm almost up to the mine. Um, I just had to call back in. So, okay. do you have anything to say? Um, nope. <laughs> About any of this? Well, that's good because we don't have. I mean, there's a lot of pages tonight, so it's probably good that I'm not talking as much. <laughs> it's All right, okay. I'll mute myself. They also said that James, in connection with Peter and John, gave them many instructions, which Mr. Godby read to me. He also read to me many instructions purporting to have come from Heber C. Kimball and Joseph Smith. And he told me there was a great deal more that they did not let me see. Probably I was not strong enough in the face to see. These statements were made to me in most perfect plainness. I told them... I do not believe in the truthfulness of your manifestations. I believe you have had manifestations, just as you say, but I do not believe that Peter, James, John, Solomon, Joseph Smith, Heber C. Kimball, or Jesus have been to you. I do not believe one of them has been to you. It is the devil, just the same as he has manifested himself in the world. Oh, said they, here is the difference between us and them. We believe in the priesthood. We believe... Hmm. False alarm. It just, like, went back over to the main, my main Facebook wall. One second. I was going to say one of the things that I think I'm not really talkative during this time is because a lot of this stuff, I don't like the he said, she said kind of stuff because I want, like, first account. So I don't really love it when it's, like, third or second person or, you know what I mean? Like, not straight from there, from that individual who said it so a lot of it gets passed around and then you get you know folklore or whatever so I don't really love that and that's probably why I don't talk a lot about what's being said here because it's not like first account anyways um I yeah, believe one of them yeah <laughs> I do not believe one of them has been to you it is the devil just the same as he manifested himself in the world Oh, said they, here's the difference between us and them. We believe in the priesthood. We believe in plurality of wives. We believe in the order of the church, and so on. Said I, don't you know that the devil would be very foolish if he wished to lead astray men who had been in this church, who had been taught for years to believe in the principles you believe in? If he should undertake to lead them astray by telling them, there was no truth in all things. The devil can adapt himself to the belief of any person. If you believed in plurality, he would make you think it was all right. If he could get you to swallow down one or two great lies that would affect your destruction and which you would preach and destroy many others, he would not mind how many truths you might believe. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 13, page 72, 
and 73. And also, God suffers Satan to compound and mix up truth and error in such proportions as to be captivating and strongly delusive. As a snare, this composition will be ingeniously mixed and administered to all nations by skillful and practiced hands. Men will be raised up for the express purpose of furthering the designs and marvelous works of the devil. That comes from The Coming Crisis, Millennial Star, Volume 15, page 274. And we're now on page 251. And I feel like with all of the talking from, like, different sources and not directly from that one source, he said, she said, or especially when it comes to um, kind of like white lying. So um, when you ask a question and somebody doesn't directly answer your question and then you assume that, well, they didn't say no or they didn't say never or they just said not right now, try to read around the, you know, the answers. They try to read around things, and then they assume things, and then they try to run with the the assumptions that they have. And then they pass it off as, like, you know, scripture or doctrine or something. So it makes it really confusing. And um, though I have discernment, it just is, it's just so much to um, the confusion. It's like throwing in that one lie with the 99 truth, you know, uh, though that's easier to decipher, actually, um, in my opinion. That's easier to decipher. But it's when one after the other, truth, lie, truth, lie, um, and accounts of people who are, you know, making something out of nothing or um, actually just outright lying about how they've come to know things um, just because they want to make it sound better or um, make their stories more bulletproof or something. It just, uh, I just don't like it. Uh, it makes it harder and confusing for the people who are actually just trying to know the truth. That's all we want to know. We don't want to be in charge of people. We don't want to influence other people to do bad things. We don't want to make other people do stuff for us. We don't want people to follow us. We just want to live our life and be happy with our own little family and do our own thing. And we want everybody else to have the opportunity to do the same thing. We could care less about controlling or owning anybody else's stuff. We just would like to be able to do our own thing, you know. And so with other people who are always trying to control, be in charge of, have other people follow them, you know, um, they want to be in the spotlight all the time. They're just exhausting where everything's always about them. And those types of people end up being the people who tell these white lies, these half-truths, partial truths, because they want to think that they are somebody or something important to other people, and then it just leads nations away. It's just a terrible thing. It's like, you know, the sin next to murder. Anyways, we're on page 251, which is why I just went on a little bit of a tangent. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? No. Okay. Okay. Since the Lord seems to be gradually withdrawing his spirit from the world, men are getting more and more corrupt. They no longer believe in the ancient prophets. And Jesus said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
That's Luke chapter 16, verse 31. Indeed, we live in a generation of unbelievers. The whole world has been taken captive by the devil, and darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people. And all flesh has become corrupt before my face. That's Doctrine and Covenants 112, verse 23. They have become slaves of Satan and servants of sin, and they who are not chosen have sinned a very grievous sin, or grievous sin, in that they are walking in darkness at noonday. DNC, chapter 95, verse 6. And how does one walk in darkness at noonday? He has to be blind, spiritually blind. The prospects for the future are dim. The prophet Malachi warned, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. That's Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. But Malachi also gave some hope for the righteous. In Malachi 4, verses 2 through 3, he says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day, that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Again, that's Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Malachi is speaking of the end of the world as we know it, and Brigham Young foresaw the same destructions throughout the world. Page 252. When the testimony of the elders ceases to be given, and the Lord says to them, Come home, I will now preach my own sermons to the nations of the earth. All you now know can scarcely be called a preface, a preface, a preface, sorry, to the sermon that will be preached with fire and sword tempests earthquakes, hail, rain, thunders, and lightnings, and fearful destruction. They will be like the Jaredites who preceded the Nephites upon this continent and will destroy each other to the last man through the anger that the devil will place in their hearts because they have rejected the words of life and are given over to Satan to do whatever his he listeth to do with them. You may think that the little you hear of now is grievous, yet the faithful of God's people will see days that will cause them to close their eyes because of the sorrow that will come upon the wicked nations. The hearts of the faithful will be filled with pain and anguish for them. Journal of Discourse, Volume 8, page 123. In summary of this chapter, okay, so this is right before chapter 18. In the summary of this chapter, one might ask, as did the nobleman, the Lord of the Vineyard, recorded in DNC 101, verse 52, what is the cause of this great evil? And the answer could also be taken from the same book of Scripture, because their hearts are set so much upon the things, including leaders of this world, and aspire to the honors of men that they do not learn this one lesson, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness, that they may be conferred upon us. It is true that when we undertake to cover our sins or to gratify our pride or our vain ambition or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves, the spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, 
amen to the priesthood or authority of that man. That's DNC 121, verse 35 and 37, or 35 through 37. The failure of men, churches, governments, and the world will eventually bring about the great and terrible judgments of God. But certainly we can't say we have been warned. We have not been warned because we all have. Um, now we're on Chapter 18. If you want to call in, the call-in line is 917-889-8827. And uh, it is open now for comments and questioning. Also, if you get online, online to blogtalkradio.com forward slash kingdom of God or nothing, I feel like that's what it is, um, then you can get into the chat room and ask any questions that you have there or make any comments because we uh, welcome both. And um, Emmett, would, are you following along? Because if you'd like to read the beginning of Chapter 18, that would be great. Yes, I am following along. Amazing. Do you have the studio up and running on your uh, tablet? Yes. Okay, good deal. So you can make sure to watch out for people who are calling in. I am about to go down through the void again. So uh, I'll probably be muted for at least four minutes. Okay. Okay. So page 254, chapter 18, right? Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to life. Psalms 44. Uh, just before his crucifixion, Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives with his disciples and looked down through the centuries to the latter days. See Matthew 24. He described them or described to them the signs that the wor- would precede his second coming and the end of the world. He gave four major warnings for his disciples, both then and now, to help them avoid the pitfalls of the last days. First, take heed that no man deceive you, uh, verse 4, I think it says. This shows that man in deception would be one of the greatest dangers to his disciples in the last days. Second, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 5, Christ warns them of a grave danger coming from among his own followers. Third, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Uh, Verse 11. A greater danger would come from those who are considered true prophets, but in reality were not. Um, Verse 4. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall slew great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Verse 24. This final deception is so severe that only the very elect have a chance to escape. All who are not very elect will be deceived. And that is page 225 now. Anything to say? Good job reading. Um, I did not have any comments on that or any of the other readings. The only thing that had stood out to me I was talking about um, definitely, though, when you're reading and um, looking at history and the way things are happening, this has all come to pass. Um, it's the way things are right now. 
And definitely, it's a hard thing, I, I feel like, um, especially in this day and age, I think um, for people to be selfless and, um, you know, not try to control somebody else or want to be in charge of other people. It seems like even in the church, um, when I was growing up um, in the church and even when I was a young adult, um, you I feel like I keep saying I'm a lot. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> there it goes again. But I feel like what happens is even in the church, we, as a people or the people that I was in church with, they would always feel like, the callings that they got defined who they are. So if you did not receive as a female, if you were not a Relief Society president or a counselor, then it was because there was something you were doing wrong or it was something that was insufficient about you that made it so you were not as good or as great as uh, every other member of the church. And it's the same way with with Bishopric, um, you know, the women that I know, they feel like they are just so prestigious and so much better than all of the other women if their husband is the bishop or, heaven forbid, the stake president. And then they're higher up and they're just better than all of the people, the lay people of the church. (laughs) Um, And that's the way it is. It's always somebody trying to be in charge above, higher than, greater than, anybody else. And they feel like, um, you know, just like in this world where, uh, they do the same thing with government. Um, the higher you are with the calling, if you're the president, that means you're so much better than everybody else. And um, it's so hard. It's hard with that mentality um, because it's it just seems like it's bred into the minds of all of our youth, of all of the people of this world, that you have to be somebody. You have to be better than the next person. You have to control other people. You have to control you know, everything about all that you do. And, you know, I'm not any better than anybody else. I like to be in in control of my own um, family or destiny or day or whatever it is. I don't like to have other people controlling over me. Um, I wouldn't say, though, that I don't, that I control um, manipulatively or, or so that my kids or even my husband doesn't have their free agency because I am very willing to... Um, let everybody around me also have their own free agency. I just don't want mine taken away from me. Um, But that's how the people, all of the people are. Um, And we, as a people, need to get away from that, get away from the the feeling that we need to be better than anybody else. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. It's, It's not about who is the best person in the world. It's not about who is greater. We're all trying to get there together. The way that Zion is redeemed is not by a person. Even having one mighty and strong, you know, the the person who my husband claims to be, uh, even having him there in the community, it doesn't negate the, the need for every other member of that Zion community because they're all valuable in the sight, in the eyes of God. Every soul is. And the only way we're getting there is all together, you know, more so, hands, lighter work. It's just better that way. So when God told me to organize the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets, um, part of the reason for that and setting the house of God in order has to do with the law of adoption. When I was filled up to the Father, I was made the link on the earth. 
so that others could be sealed to me and then sealed up into the Father through that link, like Joseph was in that day. But he also commanded me to organize the School of the Prophets, which this is part of that. And that was so that we could come together and work things out, not so I could be a dictator over people, but so that we could, um, you know, have like-minded people that might have different ideas, so come together and work things out. And, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a leader of the group per se, um, just because I claim to be the Lord's anointed because of the things that have happened to me and because God called me that, it doesn't mean that I am the dictator, the one that forces people to believe one way or the other. We all have free agency, and that is precious in the sight of God. And any man or woman who tries to take that away from uh, other individuals other adults, uh, they're wrong. We fought for free agency. Um, I'm going to cut up here. I'm at the top of Barrel Hill. Do you have anything to say, Kim? Um, no, I think that was really well stated. Um, that's something that kind of weighs on my heart, though. Uh, I feel like a lot of times people have just been so – I guess I do have stuff to say. I'm sorry. I always have something else to say, I suppose. Um but I feel like people are so programmed and conditioned that they feel like they have to follow around this one man. They have to, you know, this one person's going to get them to, you know, heaven, to God, to celestial glory. Because it's a false interpretation of the one man doctrine. All the one man doctrine is all that I just said. You know, yeah, uh, yeah you have to be filled by the law of adoption, but that doesn't mean that they have control over you. But the Brighamites and splinter groups of the Brighamites, they really latched onto this one-man doctrine that there's one guy that you have to bow down to and worship, basically, and listen to all that he says and do not disagree with him or whatever, you know? And if you do, then you'll be punished for it, and that's the culture of a cult. And that is not what God wanted, not even close. That's actually what Satan, well, back then, it was Lucifer, that's what he wanted. That's not what God's plan was. That was Satan's plan. That's yep. what Satan wants. And then he continues to do that, uh, to get his claws into every organization and every church, every church, and turn him into a cult. And I just, I see it. You know, it, so many examples of it, and I've seen it throughout the years. But um, I did want to say one thing that was, on my mind. So, Doctrine and Covenants, section 121. It, uh, can you flip to that section, Kim, real quick? Yeah, 121? I think it is. It's the one where, uh, upon my house shall it begin, and upon my house shall it go forth. Talking of the cleansing of the temple and the wrath and indignation and all this stuff. It's been a while since um, I've read it. Yeah, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm slow with this this phone. I'm trying to, <laughs> sorry. I couldn't it's figure fine. out how to get it onto that right place. Okay, so 121. It's either 121 or 112. I always get those two mixed up. 
And just in case you are just tuning in, I'm actually a truck driver, and I'm currently driving my semi-truck. And uh, I just call into the show using my cell phone and my Bluetooth headset to talk as I'm doing my job. So that's why Kim and my son Emmett read a lot and I make comments because I can do that. You know, I can drive and talk. Well, Kim was finding that. Okay, um, what's, the, what's just, the second one that you thought it was? Because I don't feel like it's this one. 112. Okay. Damn it. Go ahead and pull up on your scripture app. Uh, go to search in the scriptures and uh, type in upon my house. Okay. So, Paul and his apostle to Peter actually talks about this, that God will cleanse his people first before he destroys the wicked. Uh, because we have so much truth, and because we have greater light and knowledge given to us, we are held more accountable than, than the heathen and the wicked. One twelve twenty five. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall couple, it go forth. Before? Or? Read a, yeah, a couple verses before, maybe three verses before. Okay. Give context. Uh, yep. Uh, so this is DNC uh, 121, verse 20. And continuing on after that. Whosoever receiveth my word receiveth me, and whosoever receiveth me receiveth those. The first presidents whom please. I have sent whom I have made counselors for my name's sake unto you. And again, I say unto you that whosoever ye shall send in my name by the voice of your brethren, the twelve, duly recommended and authorized by you, shall have power to open the door of my kingdom unto any nation, whithersoever ye shall send them. Inasmuch as they shall humble themselves before me and abide in my word and hearken to the voice of my spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people. And all flesh has become corrupt before my face. All flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh out speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth. A day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping and mourning and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Therefore, see to it that ye trouble not yourselves concerning the affairs of my church in this place, saith the Lord. But. Purify your hearts before me. Then go ye into all the world and preach my gospel unto every creature who has not received it. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. For unto you, the twelve, and those of the first presidency who are appointed with you to bear your counselors and your leaders, is the power of the priesthood given for the last days and for the last time in which this dispensation 
or which is the dispensation of the fullness of time. Which power you hold in connection with all those who have received a dispensation at any time from the beginning of creation. For verily I say unto you, the keys of the dispensation which ye have received have come down from the fathers and last of all being sent down from heaven unto you. Verily I say unto you, behold how Jim, great is your calling. Yes? Are you just going to read the rest of this chapter? I'm almost done. Cleanse your hearts and okay. your garments, lest bloods of this generation be required at your hands. Be faithful until I come, for I come quickly, and my reward is with me to recompense every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. Amen. See, it was just worth the ending. Love it. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what day or what year, month and year was that revelation given? That was given to Joseph Smith um, in Kirtland, Ohio. Revelation given through Joseph Smith, uh, the prophet, to Thomas B. Marsh at Kirtland, Ohio, July 23rd, 1837. Okay. So we were already under condemnation for treating the things of God lightly at that point, but God was still working with the saints at that time. <clears throat> There was an, a great apostasy that happened shortly after that time uh, where just it, it was ridiculous. Ha- uh, Joseph had to, like, basically excommunicate a bunch of people. People were trying to take over things, and, and it was just a big mess, right? So, so God, got, God has him go out to Independence and then out to Nauvoo, and he continues trying to work with them. And he has them, you know, build the temple or build the temple so that he can restore the fullness of the priesthood that had not yet been restored to the earth uh, by the hand of the Father himself. Uh, But he says, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your debt. So they, they received cursings and wrath and indignation, just like Jesus said they would if they were disobedient. And they went into the wilderness and were splintered into all kinds of different groups. Now, a lot of people in the Brighamite tradition will say, that means the people who go in the temple who are not supposed to be there. No, the house of God includes all of the restoration groups and all of their many prophets and all of their many apostles who have not seen God but but claim to have seen him. And they are cursed with a great cursing because they did have, and they have access to, greater light and knowledge. But because they want to control their members through lies and manipulations, they receive a greater condemnation. And God has to cleanse his vineyard before he can cleanse the rest of the earth because they are worthy of greater condemnation. Now, I did not have to come down here and leave my place to redeem Zion if the people would have been obedient. But because the people have been disobedient, the Father has set down his second witness or his second son, by law of adoption anyway, to call the people to repentance. Because it is the house of the Lord that will receive the greatest destruction and cleansing. And that is upon us at this time. 
Tom, going into Sunnyside, Deb, uh, did you have something to say about any of that, or do you have something else to say, any inspiration? Oh, I don't know. I, I think I've been saying a whole lot, and I feel like, ah, you know how sometimes I'm like, I probably talk too much. I feel that way already. <laughs> That's because you're always condemning me for talking too much. Now you're the one. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shh, don't say anything else. I just, uh, I don't know. I have a hard time with, sometimes I feel things, and, um, you know, you feel a certain way about things. You feel, you know, like bad things, or maybe you feel good, um, but you just feel like this inspiration. And a lot of times I tell myself, don't say this or don't say that. You know, you tell yourself, nobody else needs to hear that or, you know, something like that. So I do that a lot because I'm like, oh, just be quiet. But then there's like, you know, yeah, yeah, I think so. But then there's sometimes when I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to say it anyways because somebody needs to hear it. (laughs) And then I just tell it all. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't say so much. (laughs) Tonight, I feel like a lot of times, especially when we're reading and in the reading, it says a lot of, you know, this person said this from this person or heard this person say this, or then I'm like, you know, this is where people can get confused or when they start saying things like, I feel like because they didn't say it this way, then that means this. And then they just assume a whole bunch of things. And I don't like the assumptions. I feel like a lot of assumptions I don't know if I've said this before on on the radio show, but I, oddly enough, am more of like a hardcore, you know, rule person. Like, if this, then that. I like mathematics because it always makes sense. I like science because it also makes sense. Um, I feel like God is this awesome mathematician, scientist, um, you know, who knows way more about the laws than we do, and I like the laws. They keep people safe, so that's the kind of person I am. Um, However, when things don't make sense or when the laws are not being followed and um, they were clearly stated, then I just feel sad for the people who, you know, make all of these assumptions and try to change the law or change what it is. It's like, you know, the commandments. Uh, we would have been able to have the higher law or the higher commandments. We, As it is, we only have been given the ten, the lower commandments, um, because of the people who were, well, again. We've been given enough to redeem Zion. We yes, have yes. the meat of the gospel. But we turn aside, we turn our backs on it, and we yeah, look we at it, we throw it on the table, and we look at it as vomit and filth when it is the truth of of God and, and what he wants us to do. So, and then um, people, they make their own laws, their own commandments, of of which have, you know, are not relevant compared to the laws that were given. They make all of these assumptions, and then you end up having, um, what is it called, uh, where it's the, the um, culture, you have these cultural rules that have nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. It's just a cultural rule. <laughs> yeah, well, and they do that it, it all the time. And it corrupts the people. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know what I'm looking at right now, but I'm driving north on or westbound on Highway 6 towards Wellington. And the uh-huh. sun has gone down in the sky far enough to where it's not pretty anymore, but I can still see some daylight. And there's mm-hmm. these two, and I think they're planets, but I can't tell. But they are really bright. And I think they are something way, way, way high up in the atmosphere and that the sun is reflecting off of them. But if you go outside. Mm-hmm. I am outside. Okay, let me see which way I'm headed here. Look at my handy-dandy digital compass. Okay, I'm going north, north, well, west, northwest. So look towards the west and then look a little tiny bit north. Do you see those really shiny, really bright objects? Or do you have to look north, north? to see them, because I, I am looking straight west across Price right now. All I can see when I look that way, as I'm sure you're well aware, is a mountain <laughs> that's on the back side our of my hill. house. Our <laughs> yeah, hill. Licking off hill. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Kimberly Hill. So you don't see the, the really bright stars out there? I think they're moving, because, like, one of them was, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're moving. I don't know. It's really cool. It's something really, okay, for you people out there, I have been driving for over 3 million miles in my lifetime. I've been a truck driver. I started driving farm trucks from uh, midnight to 4 p.m. when I was six, I think I was actually 17 years old. But for, since 94, or 25 years, and a lot of my driving is, is at night, and way up in the atmosphere, and the sun is shining down. And in order for them to uh, to be reflecting like that, they've got to be up in the atmosphere, like way high. Yep, they're both I thought you were going to say that you've been driving for over 3 million years, because of the way you phrased that. I was like... No, 3 million uh, miles. Nope. I, I have... No, I, 25 years, I have about, I sat somewhere close, I lost track. I should be somewhere around 3 million miles at this point. And I don't often see things, like, a lot of people are like, oh, UFOs. Guess what? I, I drive at night. I, I like driving at night. Uh, it's just more peaceful. I don't got DOT trying to look at my truck or look at my logbooks or bother me. <laughs> I don't have uh, MSHA or OSHA bugging me. There's less traffic, so I drive at night. And I don't usually see anything at night that that causes me any kind of concern or any kind of... But I have seen uh, uh, rockets, uh, you know, way up in the atmosphere um, right after sunset where you can see their plumes. Um, I have seen bullet asteroids, which scare the crap out of me whenever I see them because it looks like the Earth is about to end. <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, tonight I was just watching these two really, and it's getting darker, and they're still way up, up, way high in the atmosphere. And if it was just one, I would say, well, International Space Station, but it ain't just one. And they, whatever they are, they're big. Anyway, it's just 
I don't know. Like, I know, off track, off topic, but... So, I am almost 44 years old today, and nobody said anything on the radio show. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. So, at 11.50 tonight, I will be 44 years old on the 29th of June... I was born in 1977. I didn't know if you wanted anything said. I thought about that while I was starting the whole thing, and then I was like, no, yeah. because he probably doesn't want people to know. Kim, you were <laughs> supposed to start the show off with, happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so drop the ball on that one, because I was like, I don't know if he wants me to tell everybody that today is his no. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife... Got me German chocolate cake and steak and potatoes, which is the best dinner ever. <laughs> Excuse oh, me, I made cob. all of that. Emmett, you did not you? make all of that. <laughs> Emmett, I did not make the cake. Mom but I made it. all the food. <laughs> Mom told you to. Emmett actually made me a French toast uh, for my my breakfast and. I didn't know that, and Kim had come home with my favorite fast food, which is Arby's. (laughs) And so I was scrounging that down or scarfing that down or whatever. And then Emmett comes out, and I'm already stuffed because I just had two sandwiches and a bunch of curly fries with my son, Arius, who is two, and my daughters, uh, Eliza and Amberly, who are six and eight. So... uh, Emmett comes out with this food late as usual, and I was like, I'm so stuffed, I can't eat anymore. <laughs> that was a classic count. <laughs> anyway, so I so one funny thing about me is um, whenever my kids ask me how old I am, I always tell them, well, let's see, this year I'll be 531. Yeah, I just, what? <laughs> So when I was younger, um, uh, I have a nickname. My nickname is Lazarus. And when I was in LDX Mingles, the people would be like, oh, Lazarus, he stinketh. It was like this <laughs> ongoing joke every time I went into the chat room. And uh, so I started making up uh, these stories about the life of myself as Lazarus. And... Um, what was that? Oh, the car. Sorry, I'm not muted. My bad. What was that? <laughs> a car. I'm out front doing yard work because I don't have time during the day to do all of it. So Okay, whatever. I'm out anyway, Sorry, so... it didn't sound like a car. <laughs> it, it was, I know, I'm it was like, a spaceship it's not car. a car. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it was what? It was a spaceship car. Just kidding. <laughs> no, it was a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Back to the Future when he opens the doors to deliver in for Star Wars. I'm on wash plant. Can you hear me still? I can. Hello? Hello? Seriously? There? Hello? Yes. Hey, there's dead air. Uh, I'm in a bad area. No, it's not dead air. Everybody can hear you just fine. 
But since you okay, didn't well, want to hear I the spaceships driving by, I muted myself, and now I had to unmute myself. And if you need I, me to keep talking, I will. Can you hear me? But there's a car coming, yes. so I'm going to do it again. Okay, whatever, okay. Emmett. Shut up. Be quiet. Okay, I'm going to tell my story. So I started writing a, a fictional story about the life of this man who was born in uh, June of, of 1490 and how he was a, uh, you know, his parents were Jews in Spain and we were kicked out of Spain because of all the stuff that was happening at that time and my father died and my mother took us, her children, to her home in Wittenberg, Germany where her parents lived, where she grew up. And um, so I grew up during the time uh, when the Gutenberg Press was a thing, and Martin Luther was, you know, in Wittenberg, Germany, and he was uh, using the printing press to print pam- pamphlets, and I became his apprentice. And I converted to, uh, to Catholicism as a Jew, um, and I married Elizabeth, who was the daughter of Martin Luther, who actually in real life died before she could ever bear children. But in my story, I just her around just for a little fun, and I became the son-in-law of Martin Luther. And um, because um, I became a proselyte of Martin Luther, I was a Jew, so the Jews hated me, who became a Catholic, who apostatized from Judaism and the Catholicism. So I was like double threat, double trouble, whatever. And eventually in 1525, myself and my family were, uh, were burned at the stake. We were all killed. So, um, so I had the opportunity to come back as an avenging angel. And then after my avengingness, <laughs> after I took care of some business, um, I became a servant, and I was able to be like a ministering angel uh, physically to the reformers. And anyway, so I got this big long story. That's actually the backstory to a book that I was writing about something else. But so, so that's the backstory of this character that I had. And uh, at the end of his. In the end days, you know, where we're living now, uh, because of his obedience, God allowed him to have a family and to live a normal life. So this guy, this character of mine, who is fictional, I'm not trying to fan him, not even a little bit, but um, he was in a singles ward, and there was this girl who was, like, stocky, like, pushy, but really, really liked him, Right. And she got into his house, and she was stupid through his stuff when he was off on business or something. I don't know. I can't remember how the story went. Anyway, but she finds all of these artifacts up in his attic of paintings of himself and pictures of himself with, like, familiar heart and all these, like, old people and just ridiculous stuff, right? And she's like, who is this guy? But that's the backstory of the character to who is this guy and He's, like, just trying to have a normal life, but he's, like, been on the earth since 1490. So whenever my <laughs> whenever my kids are, like, 
Dad, how old are you? Well, let's see. The year is 2021. So this year I will be 531. Dad, how old are you really? Well, some might think I'm 44. But really, I'm 531. But I'm not. I'm just joking with them. Anyway, um, I don't even know why I'm talking about that. But I am at the coal terminal rail yard, and I am going to get rid of some coal. Let's see, I got 42 tons. Yeah, 42 ton payload, 128 to 129,000 gross on this truck. So anyway, since we don't have any callers, and I gave you plenty of time, and nobody in the chat room, Emmett, uh, can you see anybody on the studio? Just in case I need to refresh. Oh, I was muted. Uh, no, no one's in the chat room. <laughs> okay, and nobody's on the uh, call in lines on the studio. Nope, I just reloaded it too. Okay. All right, Kim. Nope. Is there anything uh, you want to say before I'm accused the music? Um, everybody, I hope you had as much fun doing this tonight as we did. And we'll be back on tomorrow night um, at the same time. We hope you all have a good night. Yep, for the conclusion um, in Chapter 18. And God bless. Love you all. Emmett, before you play the music, watch the counter. If for some reason you don't hear music anymore and the studio says music is still playing, do not end the radio show until that stops, okay? okay? That's what he did last night. I, I pulled him into the screening room so I could, like, uh, uh, tell him something before the radio show stopped. And because he didn't hear music anymore, he just pushed the end button. I'm like, seriously, Emmett, why did you just do that? <laughs> anyway, oh, let me uh, hold on here. Yep, there All right, well, Emmett, cue the music. Everybody, thank you for listening. Take care. God bless, and goodbye. Go ahead and meet your mics. Good Good night, everyone. Yeah.